Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. And back in studio with us today is the one and only Sarah Partial Perry, Senior Legal Fellow here at the Heritage what? Foundation. What's up, y'all? <laughs> Welcome back, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So it is that time of the summer where it is just hot. Like, mm. hot, 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 hot. So it got me thinking. Let's talk hot takes. <laughs> so, uh, 30 seconds of the podcast. How can we get as many people to hate us? What are your hot takes? Okay, Virginia. Oh, man. Okay, well, I'll start off with one. Uh, the Stanley Cups. Even though I own one, they're overrated. Ooh. Wow. That's a good one. Okay, I got a couple. Okay. Italian is the best food. Okay. Oh. Grey Goose is the best vodka. Mm. Fall is the best season. Mm. And men can never become women. Wow. wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll add a couple. Uh, dogs are better than cats. Sorry, well, I have Lauren. on my list cats are better than dogs. Ooh. Oh. Drink contradiction. Mm. And the lake is better than the beach. Ooh. Ooh. Interesting. I'd have to, I would have to dissent. Mm. I dissent respectfully. Mm. Respectfully. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. I have a uh, cake is gross. What? Cake what? is gross. I it literally is, have a cake sitting on my desk it right is, now. <laughs> it is just mushy sugar bread, and I've never eaten a piece of cake, and I'm like, wow, I really enjoyed this. That's a hot this. take. Uh, wow. I, I don't get, I don't get Jeeps. I've never met anybody who has a Jeep that I'm like, wow, they, they would really use this. It's just an expensive vehicle that they drive around. That breaks really easily. Yeah. 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 You know, my best friend has a Jeep Wrangler on a lift kit. And you know what? I'm like, unless you're going off-roading on yeah. that, why are you why taking are that you? on the street? And they all they all wave to each other. I'm like, guys. Yeah, like, <laughs> like it's some kind of cult, like yeah. a four-wheel cult. Yeah. It is. Uh, this is, is going to make everybody mad. Uh, oh. The band Queen is overrated. And I cannot stand the song Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a. You know what? I I I think I'm with you there. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. We had so much better music from the 70s yeah. and 80s. Come yeah. on. Um, and then here's my my summer hot take. One of the best feelings in the world is when your car's been sitting in a hot, hot parking lot. No. And you get in, no. and it's just that like enveloping no, no, no. hot Ew. feeling. No. Nope. Oh, it's like your skin's Wait, just like what toasty. Color are the seats in your car? Uh, like dark gray. Okay. See, okay. That helps. Mine are black. Oh. Mine are black, hot. and it is horrible. Mm. I can sometimes I can hardly touch my steering wheel. Mm. It's I so love hot. it. I love it. No, 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 no. Um, oh, thank you. And my last one: movies are too long. I want like in and out twenty minutes. I like television show. No. I, I, can't, I can't sit and watch a movie. No, I. The whole point of a movie is escapism. You want to no. create a exactly. world and enter a world that's completely make believe. Mm-hmm. No, like, <laughs> bad movies are too long, but good movies are Correct. not long enough. No, a, 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 I want a twenty-two minute television show that starts and has a nice ending. And if I want to keep going, I can. But Would I can you stop. say that? About Top Gun Maverick, that it was too long. Oh, 100%. No, Lauren. 100%. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, now oh, I'm wow. offended. Well, <laughs> we still we have a, we have a list, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep some. Uh, we want to keep some of our listeners because we know we're, we're problematic. We got some hot takes. But, Virginia, mm-hmm. what else do we have going on today? Oh, we have lots of hot takes up on today's Problematic Women Joe Biden has finally acknowledged his seventh grandchild in a news dump on Friday night. We break Mm. down this latest scandal with the Biden family. There was a big hearing on Capitol Hill last week on parental rights when it comes to gender affirming care. Quote unquote. Yeah. Quote unquote gender affirming care. We'll bring you some of the spiciest moments of the day and we'll get Sarah's legal take on what parental rights actually mean. 
Whether you're a CEO, an intern, or anywhere in between, the phrase servant leadership is a buzzword that you've probably heard around the office. Is it an outdated concept in modern society? We discuss. And of course, as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. Those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen, and encourage others to subscribe and check out the show. It makes a huge difference. All right, let's get to it. At exactly 5.02 p.m. last Friday night, People Magazine was the first to publish a statement from President Biden finally acknowledging his seventh granddaughter, Navy Joan Roberts. The statement reads, Our son Hunter and Navy's mother London are working together to foster a relationship that is in the best interest of their daughter. Preserving her privacy as much as possible going forward, President Biden said in a statement that, again, was provided exclusively to People magazine. And Biden continued, this is not a political issue. It's a family matter. Jill and I only want what is best for all our grandchildren, including Navy. <laughs> People magazine, that hard hitting wow. news exactly. outlet. Yeah. You know, everybody's on people at 5 p.m. on a Friday, just yeah. refreshing, oh, waiting, waiting for 100%. Or oh. on people at all. Yeah. What? Oh. <laughs> I mean, People magazine is the, oh, shoot, the, the line in the grocery store is kind of long. Let me just grab this. Yeah. yeah. Leaf yeah. through it yeah. while yeah. I wait. Maybe on a plane. Maybe yeah. on a plane. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about planes that you feel like reading tacky news. So I want to set this up a little bit because, I mean, Hunter Biden is just driving the media landscape right now oh, with all, of, all the charisma and we could get into that. But I really just want to stick with Hunter and this this child because let's just do a little deep dive on his romantic history. So he was married in 1993. He has three daughters. Uh, he was married to that woman, they were separated in 2015, and, and follow me with the math, they were actually divorced in 2017. In 2016, he started dating his late brother's wife. Hmm. Ooh. They dated until 2019, but mm-hmm. in 2018, Navy was born again. Oh, that's straight up biblical. And then he broke it off with his late brother's ex-wife. And then in 2020, he met a woman and then... A week later, they were married, and now he has another child. Okay. So. You know what? Venn diagram that for me, because uh, I can't keep up with it. I mean, this is, like, more juicy than, like, an episode of the Keeping Up with the Kardashians, yeah. right? It's a lot of drama. When you look at who is sleeping with who, and the fact that Hunter Biden has this history with women, with substance abuse, you know, you, you it does break your heart to see somebody struggling like this. But the fact that that our president, the man who's supposed to lead our country and set an example, couldn't overlook his son's bad behavior and recognize this grandchild that literally they took a DNA test and it took weeks and months of pressure. What do you think that says about President Biden? 
I think it's a character statement, honestly. Mm. I think the fact that you know that this is your son's child but refuse to publicly acknowledge that little girl says a lot about who you are as an individual. I think, you know, we've heard character defined as what you do when no one's Mm. looking. Well, I'll tell you what. He didn't think anyone was looking Mm -hmm. when news came to light that Navy was out there and was, in fact, Hunter's biological daughter. Well, it's very naive in many ways to think if you ignore it long enough, mm. it'll go away and right. people won't pay attention. They'll stop talking about it because that was what they were hoping for was people would just they'd forget. Right. And they wouldn't be held accountable for recognizing the fact that they have a seventh grandchild. Right. And they did stuff like postcards with six stockings on the mantelpiece. Like they really went out of their way to exclude this granddaughter in every step. And it's disgusting. But imagine if President Biden had an R next to his name. Or let's say President mm. Biden was named Donald Trump and he did try to do this to one of his grandkids. Yeah. How do you think the media would have reacted then? Mm. Oh, that, I mean, that's an easy answer. We know that there's hypocrisy. The mainstream media, the legacy media, call it what you will, is owned by the left-wing cabal. I mean, we know what happened to our own Fred Lucas mm. in the White House press pool. So they're not fans of truth-telling. Mm. They're fans of picture painting. And that's what we're seeing in large measure Through the mainstream media right now, if this was a Republican president of any ilk, they would be up in arms. They threw fits over manufactured scandals when, in fact, we had high-ranking government officials say there was nothing here to support the FBI's investigation of a sitting president. So we, we know they'll go to no lengths to make sure that right looks bad. And left looks good. Well, and I think even it's so telling that People Magazine agreed to release this on a Friday night. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this is juicy news for any news outlet. You want to release, just working in the news industry, pieces are held sometimes. It's like, no, we want to release this when eyeballs are going to be on, when people are paying mm-hmm. attention. There is strategy behind when these things are released. So... And you would think that it would be advantageous, knowing that this was going to get clicks, for people to release this on, you know, a Tuesday morning or, you know, a time when people are really watching the news. But that indicates that they actually care about revealing the truth as opposed to painting a picture. The Mm -hmm. fact that it came out at 5.02 on a Friday in the summer, by the way. (laughs) Yep. On a sitting president, when in fact the president's son is already in the public eye, this is germane to the entire discussion Mm. Mm. about character for this family. The fact that it came out from People Magazine at 5.02 on a Friday in the summer indicates to me exactly who was behind this. I don't know. I like to think that money exchanged hands probably. Mm. You know, they bury the lead. They bury stories like this. It happens all the time. And even when they write about it, I read tons of articles, all left of center. It's all, can you believe the right is making this an issue? This is a private family matter. And I'm like, he is the son of the sitting president. And we're talking about what the actual president is doing. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about how is Navy doing in her preschool? Does she know, you know, her left from right? We're talking about the actions of our president. And they're trying to gaslight us to thinking that we're the crazy ones for caring about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Lauren. And the fact is that, their grandchildren, they've made a part of their lives, which is beautiful. I, I think that's great to have your grandchildren out front and center, but they had to have known people are going to notice 
that you have seven grandchildren and you're only referencing six. Guys, Melania wore a trench coat that had graffiti on the back by sort of an avant-garde artist that said, I don't care, do you? And the mainstream media was up in arms thinking it was was some kind of political (laughs) statement about their out-of-touch nature with the rest of the American population. It was ridiculous. It was was a week-long scandal that we talked about. Of course. And the jacket was fabulous. It was kind of great. Yeah. I mean, I should know because yeah. I like clothes. <laughs> you do have a great dress on today, oh, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's definitely something to pay attention to. Hopefully, the Biden family, now they have done the right thing, they will include her more. But it's just one more Hunter Biden scandal that keeps us interested. Oh, yes, boy. I tell you what, a couple of layers lead to a couple of layers. Mm. And I'm waiting for the center of the onion. And we just keep peeling Mm. back and peeling back. I think by the time this administration has seen its last day in the White House, we're going to learn still more about Mm. exactly what's been going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Before we dive into more news, I want to tell you about a great way to stay on top of the news every day. It's called The Morning Bell. And each weekday, the Daily Signal delivers the top news and commentary directly to your inbox free. You'll be able to read about the policy debates shaping the agenda, analysis from the Heritage Foundation experts like Sarah, and commentary <laughs> from leading conservatives. It's easy to sign up. Just visit DailySignal.com and click on the Connect button in the top right corner of the page. We'll start sending you the morning bell tomorrow. Last Thursday, the U.S. House Judiciary Committee held a hearing on, quote, the dangers and due process violations of gender-affirming care for children. Instantly, the hearing broke down on a really partisan fashion, with Democrats calling the hearing just a stunt and having the witnesses grab their, quote-unquote, 15 minutes of fame. I think there's a slightly different story. I know, Virginia, you have some clips. Let's, let's roll them. Yeah, so this is really important and powerful because there were individuals giving testimony before Republican and Democrat members of Congress sharing, this is what I have experienced. This has been my experience. And you have to wonder, was everybody who was sitting there hearing this, were they actually really hearing this? Were they taking the time to consider what these Wait, women were saying? were they hearing what they were hearing at the hearing? <laughs> <laughs> Can mm-hmm. we say hearing, hearing one more, one more time? time. <laughs> Open your ears. Okay, so first, let's hear uh, from Paula Scanlon. She is a swimmer, was a swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania and swam against Leah Thomas. Remember that Leah Thomas is a male who identifies as transgender, swam first on the men's team for the University of Pennsylvania, then decided, wait a second, I'm a woman. I'm going to swim on the women's team, switched over to the women's team, and took opportunities from those women. But Paula Scanlon, she had a window into this that few other people had because she was swimming on the same team as male Leah Thomas. So let's listen to what she had to say before members of Congress. My teammates and I were forced to undress in the presence of Leah, a six foot four tall biological male, fully intact with male genitalia, 18 times per week. So this is so critical, and I want to get y'all's reactions in just a second, but let's listen to one other thing that Paula Scanlon had to say. This is not hypothetical. This is real. I know women who have lost roster spots and spots on the podium. I know of women with sexual trauma who are adversely impacted by having biological males in their locker room without their consent. I know this because I am one of these women. I was sexually assaulted on June 3rd of 2016. I was only 16 years old. 
All right. And then also testifying before members of Congress was Chloe Cole. We've actually had and highlighted Chloe's story on this podcast as well as, as the Daily Signal podcast. Chloe Cole is she's incredible uh, and she's a detransitioner. So she identified for a while as a boy. She took hormones um, and actually had a double mastectomy, I believe, at the age of 15 um, and then decided, you know what? This isn't the answer. This is not fixing my problems and decided to detransition. She spoke so powerfully before members of Congress. Take a listen. And just a note for listeners, this clip is a little graphic. Before I was able to legally drive, I had part I had a huge part of my future womanhood taken from me. I will never be able to breastfeed. I struggle to look at myself in the mirror at times. I, w- I, still, I still struggle to this day with sexual dysfunction. And I have massive scars across my chest. And the skin grafts that they use, that they took of my nipples, are weeping fluid today. And they were grafted into a more masculine positioning, they said. After surgery, my grades in school plummeted. Everything that I went through did nothing to address my underlying mental health issues that I had. And my doctors, with their theories on gender, thought that all my problems would go away as soon as I was surgically transformed into something that vaguely resembled a boy. Their theories were wrong. The drugs and surgeries changed my body, but they did not and could not change the basic reality that I am and forever will be a female. You know, as somebody who is the mother of three teenage kids, I hear I hear that kind of testimony and I think, where were the parents? But when Chloe was here, I asked her the question, what do you wish your parents had said? And she said, my parents were as duped as anybody. Mm-hmm. They didn't know. And here's the problem. The medical industrial complex has popularized Mm. gender affirming air Mm. quotes care so they have said instead of europe the the better part of western europe finland sweden norway england france let's wait and see we had a rude awakening we saw these kids committing suicide. We yeah. saw the side effects of this medication. Tavistock Clinic, the gender clinic in, the, in London, went belly up. Instead of waiting and seeing and taking a note from Western Europe, the United States has decided we're all in on the notion of gender identity. We're going to actually take that notion and we're going to popularize it and we're going to profiteer off of it. These are big companies who are involved mm. in this, not only major hospital systems, but we're also seeing pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer, who underwrites the human rights campaign's mm. health equity index. That's how you determine whether or not your hospital or medical facility is LGBTQIA affirming. Well, Pfizer wants to make sure it's affirming because Pfizer makes the cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers that are prescribed to gender dysphoric minors. It is money. It is profiteering. It is amoral. And ultimately, at the bottom, it's cultural Marxism. It's destruction of the self. Yeah. And when they create, you know, if they create a, a vagina out of, you know, a male organ, that is never going to be a vagina in the way that a woman has one, right? That is that is a... a experimental procedure that th- these people are going to have to have upkeep on for the rest of their lives. You are literally yeah. putting these people on drugs forever. And of course the drug companies are going to love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That word experimental or, and I think mm-hmm. that's critical. That is exactly what is happening. It's experimental medicine on children yeah. and it's life altering. They will not be able to get their bodies back to how they were created and designed to function and work. And Chloe Cole, that's, What she was saying to members of Congress is, I have tried 
to turn back the hands of time. I cannot. My body is permanently changed and there are lifelong consequences to that. She was not able to drive a car. She was not able to buy a pack of cigarettes. She was not able to go, you know, to the bar and she could cut off her own breasts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what what really worked me up on this hearing, and I know both of you were also worked up on the hearing because I was both talking to you both during the hearing, was the way that the Democrats were so nonchalant. They were like, this is just a publicity stunt. Can you believe this? They would look at these young women, this, you know, Paula Scanlon. I had to undress in front of a man and I was sexually abused and it made me uncomfortable. And then you listen to Chloe Cole. I had to alter my body at the sake of this 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 woke science. And they they, they said, oh, well, your case isn't – that's not everybody. We're, yeah. we're, we're the ones who are pro-women here. They and actually it, used the terminology 15 minutes of fame. And I thought, how can you be so callous to look mm-hmm. at these two women who have suffered irreparable injury, who have experienced this in real time? These were not experts. They were not doctors. They were young women who have experienced the consequences, the aftermath of this administration's push toward the transing of America. And I use trans now as a Mm. verb because Mm. it's not just an identity that people express. It is the MO for an entire movement of every government agency toward acceptance of payment for and expansion of gender identity as a protected class, Mm. which I think is unconscionable. I personally, I think, feel in a weird way slightly encouraged because Chloe that is a Cole, weird thing. It, it is, <laughs> but Chloe Coles, Paula Scanlon, Riley Gaines, their willingness to share their stories is having incredible impact. People are learning about these women. They're hearing their stories. Yeah. I have friends that come up to me and they're like, oh, I, you know, I just learned about this girl, Chloe Cole. Do you know about her? People who are not political, they're not in this space, and their stories Their powerful stories will stand the test of time and will continue to ring out truth long past such and such congressman has come and gone from office. I mean, the the pushback these ladies are receiving, they are receiving because they are speaking truth. They're speaking it powerfully. They're speaking it with courage. And there's such power in stories. We talk about it all the time in journalism. But you can pull out facts and figures and dates and yada, yada, yada. Someone's personal story carries such weight. And so I'm convinced that if these women keep on sharing their stories, more and more women will do so. More people will speak out on this issue and we will see a a dramatic swing back. I pray that's much sooner than later. Um, But I think when you think about what people are talking about with these hearings in casual conversation, you know, they're not talking about some comment that a far left Democrat made. They're saying, did you hear what Chloe Cole said? Yeah. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's what boils down why we started this podcast about mm-hmm. six years ago now, which is Whew. crazy. We wanted to just be a small part in empowering women who, whether they're right of center or whether they just don't fit in this traditional box that they see in People magazine every week of it's okay. Speak out when you when you do the right thing. When when you say the right things, it, it's going to be scary. People will you know push back against you. But at the end of the day, humans recognize right and wrong. And there's a lot more people behind you than you may think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I would agree with that. You know, it's so interesting to me 
And I shouldn't be surprised at this, but in every other concept of law, whether it's criminal law, whether it's drinking, whether it's smoking, whether it's registering for the draft, all of these have limitations age-wise because Mm -hmm. the government has uniformly recognized that those under the age of 21 or 18, in some circumstances, do not possess the capacity to handle certain decisions appropriately. They can't contract. They cannot be drafted into the war. They cannot be held criminally liable in most states until they reach either the age of 16 or 18. Most states prohibit you from getting married unless you are over the age of 18. And yet, we hold these children somehow by the left's narrative that these are children who are fully capable of making life-altering decisions, Mm. mutilating their bodies, taking experimental medication that may launch those underlying mental health diagnoses that they're not even aware they have, and a full 30% of young girls under the age of 18 presenting to gender identity clinics in the U.S. have undiagnosed autism spectrum disorder. Now, as a, as a mom of a kid on the spectrum, that hits very close to home to me. But instead, what we're seeing is use the drugs, use the surgery, mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. rack them and stack them. And one of the clips that we heard in the House Judiciary hearing was Blair Peters, a self-described queer surgeon out in Oregon. And he said, we are figuring it out as we go along. That had my jaw on the floor. Well, A, I like that you brought up that queer surgeon because... Aren't you just a surgeon? <laughs> your, That's your exactly sexuality it. Should not matter whether you know you're a good surgeon or not. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't ask your surgeon. They're like, oh, I went to Johns Hopkins and I got all these medical degrees, and you'd be like, well, are you queer? Like, no. <laughs> that well, that's exactly it. And I find that interesting. I've I've talked about this in other formats. The fact that he leads with queer surgeon. If you've seen pictures of him too, he's got pink hair. He is clearly coming with an agenda, mm-hmm. and the agenda is to trans kids as fast as possible. And he talked about using abdominal tissue to line a fake female sex organ for biological boys. They're literally just figuring out as they go along where to take this material to create the fallacy that these individuals are something other than they are in underlying biology. We know biology, gametes, chromosomes don't lie. They think, I believe the left-wing cabal believes that we're going to buy that. And what we've done successfully, I think, with stories like Chloe Coles or Paula Scanlon or Riley Gaines or doctors who are standing up and saying, this is not what Europe is doing, we have now brought enough doubt to the public sphere Mm -hmm. where we are causing people to say, man, maybe this wasn't what the administration promised us, Mm -hmm. or it wasn't what so-and-so doctors promised us at this gender identity clinic. Why didn't they suggest counseling first? Why was it a rush to trans these kids? That is, I think, what we need to hold fast going into this next iteration of sort of the battlefield for common sense. That's where we are. I did not think as a lawyer of, I guess, 25 years experience now that I would be fighting for you started, sex-based You started right. law when you were like seven years old, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> look at me. Clearly I did. <laughs> Preschool, right into law school. I mean, it, I never thought I would be arguing for sex-based rights. Remember, mm-hmm. this all happened when we were in the post-sexual revolution in the 60s and the 70s. It was burn your bra. We don't have to stay home. We're going to experience the fullness of life. We don't have to be chained. You know, mm-hmm. I think it was Gloria Steinem who said, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. <laughs> 
right? So it was all about self-empowerment. And what we're realizing now is that by opening that door, we've not only not achieved a fullness of life, but we've actually given back everything that we've earned by saying, even as as feminists, and we've seen a great deal of them. Now, there are exceptions, certain women's Mm -hmm. groups, but the majority of mainstream feminists are saying exclusively, come on in. If you're a man, but you identify as a woman, come into our spaces. I give you Megan Rapinoe in U.S. soccer. She preached on and on about the failure to experience pay parity in women's soccer and men's soccer, but boy, oh boy, now that we want women's sports separate from men's sports, we're transphobic. We've given up so much of the land that all of our mothers fought for, all of our grandmothers fought for. We have only had the vote for 100 years. I want mm-hmm. you to think about that. Yeah. It, it is so easily given up that I see battles like this, and it just it, it steals my spine to move forward and to continue to argue for common sense and biological reality. You realize exactly how easily we can lose it. I'm so glad that you brought up the point that we have only had the right to vote for 100 years. Yeah, yeah. Our, our great-grandparents were born without the right to vote. That is how close we are to, yeah. you know, one of the, the biggest rights that we have in the Constitution. Yeah. yeah. It's really incredible and kind of mind-blowing to think yeah. about what a short period that is. Yeah. Well, I, w- I do want to jump to rights real quick. I know we're running long, but the, the heart of this hearing really was, as, as emotional it was, is what is parental rights? And, and Sarah, as a lawyer and a legal expert, can you break down kind of what rights do parents have to fight against this? Oh, I would be happy to do that. (laughs) Um, I'm going to tell you, this is going to drive a lot of my scholarship going forward. I'm actually working on a legal memo right now. I've written quite a number of op-eds on this issue. Here's why I'm passionate. Not only am I a mom, not only am I a lawyer, not only am I a civil rights lawyer, but the left sucks at law, you guys. I have seen in my time here at Heritage, and I'm two and a half years in here, in my time here, it has never ceased to amaze me exactly how flexible the left believes the law is. They will take one word and they'll tell you it means another word. It's no different when it comes to biological sex. The biggest gift the Supreme Court ever gave this administration was Bostock versus Clayton Mm -hmm. County. Remember, this is the 2020 decision in which Justice Neil Gorsuch, writing for the majority, said, "Okay, if you discriminate on someone based on sexual orientation and gender identity because those concepts are so closely related to sex, you also are discriminating on the basis of sex. In other words, can't hire or fire somebody or downgrade somebody based on sexual orientation or the fact that they come to work in a dress and they're a man. That provided the basis for a whole of government approach. January 21st, 2021, the Biden administration launches its first executive order. And in that executive order, it says all federal agencies now need to interpret sex as gender identity. That gives us the monstrosity that is Title IX. Title IX, we've seen now play out in the trenches. We're seeing sports inculcated with biological females who are being kicked off sports teams. Mm. They are losing scholarship spots. We heard Literally directly from Paula Scanlon, who swam next to a biological male. Riley Gaines has been on the forefront saying the exact same thing. But that leads us to where we are now. So that push through federal civil rights law, through the federal government, in through Title IX, has now manifested in gender-affirming care. Here's what the Supreme Court has said. For 100 years, ironically— about as long as we've had the vote, the the Supreme Court has said there is a fundamental right to parent your own children the way you want. However, the Supreme Court has never said there is a fundamental right to achieve dangerous, 
unstudied and experimental care for your children. Mm -hmm. And in fact, give you a little heads up, in 2007, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which many people believe is sort of the mini Supreme Court, many of those cases go up to the Supreme Court, on a panel that included the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm. A father was seeking experimental care for his terminally ill daughter who was on life support, and the D.C. Circuit said there is no right to experimental and dangerous care. And the doctors in her case using the weight of medical wisdom and studied science, have determined it is in her best interest to use approaches other than the one that you want. So we know on the one hand, yes, we have a fundamental right to parent our kids. On the other, that right does not include harming your kids. Mm -hmm. It's why we see child welfare laws, right? We see CPS come in if there are allegations of physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, not being fed, not going to school. These horror stories about these kids who are really suffering at the hands of their parents. The left has tried to take that suffering, platform it into a needed medical intervention. It will not succeed, I believe, if this goes up to the Supreme Court, but we just had a great opinion out of the Sixth Circuit in a case called LW versus Scrimetti. That panel of judges, including Amul Thapar, one of my favorite and the first uh, East Asian judge ever Hmm. appointed to the federal bench by uh, former President Trump, they wrote an opinion basically saying, listen, it's in the interest of these children to take a watchful waiting approach. It upheld Tennessee's gender-affirming medical ban for minors, and it said, we're going to let this ban stay in place. A state has a right to legislate on it. Parents have a right to only go so far, and these children are an at-risk category. If these courts interpret it rightly going forward, and there are still four federal appellate court appeals, I think ultimately it'll go to the Supreme Court. Wow. Wow. I know Quite that's the a analysis. Lot. I know that's a lot of information. On fire, as always, Sarah, <laughs> as always. Well, and I think, I, I don't want to hit this too much longer because I know we've gone forever, but it, it's just, it's so fascinating, Sarah. You did a video a couple weeks ago for us and, and talked about how a lot of this is Munchausen by proxy. Oh, yes. And mm-hmm. so it, it's, it's interesting, right, because we don't want to give too much to the government in parenting our children, right? We would never want the government to come in and force a COVID vaccine on their kids. Right. So it's really determining wh- when is this, like, actual long-term harm and, and protecting our children. Mm-hmm. So I'm really grateful that, of the work that you're doing to really kind of look at this and, and figuring out where that line is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You Not can tell I, I have some feelings about yeah. this. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> just a bit. A bit. <laughs> All right. So I'm really excited for this next topic. Not political. Let us know what you think that we're kind of going a little off script. But I read this really interesting article uh, in the Harvard Business Review because I'm I'm obviously just because you're smart like that. that. Every day I walk into Lauren's office and she's just reading reading those Harvard Business. I'm like, Lauren. Followed by the economist right after. Yeah. I would never say stuff like books are for nerds or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I did read this really fascinating article called how to be a purpose-driven leader without burning out. And this is something I think that really expressed something that's been on my mind of servant leader is such a, a buzzword, right? And yeah. it's, it's it's something, I mean, even here on the sixth floor at the Heritage Foundation, <laughs> we joke about we it joke a, around lot. a lot. <laughs> if I let somebody in the elevator in front of me, I'm like, it's because I'm a servant leader. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but when when you're working in a modern workplace, you have so many people on the computer who need you all the time. There's people all around you. It doesn't matter if you're working from home or in an office. There's so many different clients that you can have when you're, I mean, the Heritage Twitter account has 600,000 subscribers, you know, like there are so many people who 
um, who you're trying to get information to, who want information from you. And if you're trying to cut to in the servant leader idea, right, our number one servant leader is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He laid down his life. If you're trying to lay down your life for, you know, dozens, hundreds of people each week, I mean, it is emotionally exhausting, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I thought this article was really interesting in reframing you know, should the servant leader be the goal? Um, and or should we kind of look at more of like a purpose where we're all going in the same direction? Um, and I don't know. After reading it, part of me is like, no. Servant leader, you know, Jesus is the ultimate example. Totally interesting. But whatever. It's just it's just the heart business review. You know, we got a better book. <laughs> but. It is, I think, a good point of of watching burnout and making sure that we're not giving all of ourselves at all times. Mm-hmm. So I was really interested in what, what you ladies thought and kind of where you fell on this divide. Mm. That's a really great, great question. Great question. Great question. Great question. Yes. I'm watching rabbits. Can you, can you knock that out, John? Please that out. No, we should leave that in. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I, you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. You and I have a tendency to be, you know, hyper overachievers, right? Mm-hmm. Oldest kid, mm-hmm. like oldest you, daughter syndrome. Oh my gosh! I don't. Where do you Are fall you? in the birth order? I'm the youngest. Oh, oh baby girl. I'm the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so cute over there. Um, you know, I got to tell you, as somebody who is always, you know, right on the edge of like sort of extending myself into the non-margin category, mm-hmm. you know, I, my parents like to joke with me, uh, you're you're always running in the margins, mm-hmm. right? Like the healthiest way to operate is to allow yourself the cushion that mm-hmm. helps your tank get refilled. Mm-hmm. And in reading this article, one of the things they talked about was you can't pour from an empty cup. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. But the first time I heard about servant leadership was probably like you in church, right? Mm-hmm. Because Christ embodies the, you know, archetype typal uh, servant leader, right? So he drew people to him by his care for other people. I don't think leadership and kindness or leadership and compassion are mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. I think the best leaders can embody both. You know, uh, to be a real history nerd, Machiavelli's book on the prince about, (laughs) you know, you can either be loved or feared, but you can't be both, right? You had to pick one or the other, and that was ultimately you can be a nice person or you can be a leader and everyone's terrified of you. I I don't ascribe to that theory. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it is, first of all, important for us to maintain margins in our lives. I'm not great at that. I'm preaching to myself right here. Um, Lauren knows it's like it's every spare minute I have. I'm calling, emailing, texting, tweeting, writing. Um, And it starts when I get in the car in the morning and it doesn't end until I'm back home at eight o'clock at night. So Mm -hmm. I think there are boundaries we need to put in place so that we can pour into other people from a place of fullness as opposed to emptiness. Here's the other thing. I think we need to get everybody on the same page about what the goal is, Mm -hmm. right? So let's identify whether that's departmentally, whether it's organizationally, whether it's just in relation to a singular program. Let's get everyone on the same page. What do we want to do? One thing. Articulate that one thing. Now, how can we support each other? And specifically as a leader, how can you provide support to accomplish that goal? Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Yeah. Well, and I'll just say, I think in every season of your life, you're probably going to be wearing multiple 
hats. Yes, absolutely. You will be a follower in some aspect. You'll be a leader in some aspect that might look like, you know, you're a leader in your family, in your church, but you're more of a follower at work or vice versa. And I remember in college, it was the first time I had held a a leadership position and I was kind of leading um, within campus ministries. And I had this like hit me of like, this is first off, this is a lot of work. This is not what I thought leadership looked like. And it was the first time that I think I started to understand what is servant leadership. And you realize that leading is so much of it is taking large amounts of time to care for other people mm-hmm. and being willing to do the work that no one else wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that element of service, that leadership, yes, it, it's an honor. It's beautiful. I don't think I would ever describe it as glamorous, though. Like mm-hmm. You have to be willing to get down and get your hands dirty yeah, in a no position question. of leadership. And so, you know, I, I understand where this Harvard Business Review is really coming from, that I think we've seen a ton of burnout among leaders because as we've seen this movement away uh, from sort of the dogmatic leader style mm-hmm. to, you know, encouraging of self-care and all of that. I think what has happened is leaders have tried to take on more so that their own personal staff can maybe have more breathing space and things like that, not realizing, oh, wait, we all need that. Like, we're all human. There has to be margin. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, like you talked about, for yeah. everybody. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the leaders that I have always most admired, um, speaking of sort of the sexual revolution and the the rise of the feminists, I think about the push for the ERA in the 70s mm. and Phyllis Schlafly. Mm. And I, I talk about her a lot, so this is probably not the first time that listeners have actually heard me mention her, but she was a warfare expert. She had a uh, an Ivy League law degree. She was the mother of multiple children, but everyone thought she was sort of the captain of this bread-baking housewife army that was going to go into the halls of Congress and defeat the ERA, when in fact, you mentioned... She, we live in multiple different roles in multiple different stages. Mm -hmm. She embodied that perfectly, but also I think really embodied that notion of servant leadership because Mm. she was willing to go in, roll her sleeves up and say, I'm going to start a newsletter. If we all want the ERA defeated because we see its ills, I will start it. I will Mm. roll my sleeves up. I will put in the grunt work. I will develop the talking points. I admire that. Yeah. I think, you know, it it requires a lot of investment. And that means that she's the one staying up late, doing the research, putting in the hard work, and yeah. people look and say, you're our leader. And that sounds really nice. Yeah. You don't realize the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours and work behind that. Oh, yeah. And I think, too, women, when we get into these management and leadership roles, we are um, naturally more more emotional. We're more empathetic. And I think that adds an, an extra burden. It, it's it's kind of a superpower at the end of the day because we can really see people more where they're at. But it, but it, it weighs on us a little bit more than yeah. I think our male counterparts. And I really appreciated how this article helped you refocus questions. It's not, mm. what can I do for you? It's, what what do you need? Right? So mm. you're not a, you're not saying, I'll, I'll take work from you. It's, let me empower you to do it. Yeah, oh, that's want. good. Yeah. And I like one of the things that they mentioned about, you know, the leaders have a tendency to coach 
toward sort of the the faultiest rung of the ladder, the mm. person that needs the mm. most help, that's kind of rickety, can't quite get things done on time, on mission, on budget. And we have a tendency to sort of look to those individuals and drive all of our resources toward them. But what they discovered was it was more successful to take the high performers and to coach them individually to see what they needed to be more successful and encourage those who were sort of the rickety rungs to do a lot of personal training, professional training. We now have professional training, great program here um, through our Trulux Center. And to see opportunities for people on the bottom rung who weren't performing to take ownership for their performance. Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying, I'm going to give you all the tools to be successful. Somebody who is already coming in at a deficit, let's get you up to par by you owning, you figuring out, you asking yourself the hard questions. And I'm going to refocus for a while on people who are performing up here, and then we'll meet eventually in the middle. Yeah, so healthy. And the last thing I, I want to talk about with this article is we're kind of getting towards the end of the summer semester and summer interns are, are getting ready to go off to college. And they're, they're, I know, I know. My work is going to increase. The servant leader, Sarah. There you go. <laughs> but but they, they, they ask a lot of questions about management and they're thinking through their career and where they're going to land. And, and one thing that's really important when it comes to servant leadership or, or wherever we want to call it is, you do not have to wait until you are a, you know, manager or a director or a vice mm. president or whatever. You today can start being a leader in your department. Oh, yeah. It doesn't – you just need to take time to really understand what you're doing, to find gaps, and to provide leadership in whatever you're working on, right? If you become the best in what you're doing and you become invaluable – that people will always come to you whether or not you have the title or not. Mm-hmm. So I really encourage all all the women listening, whether you know you're going to start your freshman year of college or or you're you know you might be in your mid twenties, just take time to really reflect on what style of leader are you. We'll, we'll put the article in there so you can read through some of the tactics and and I would have this conversation with your friends, right? Yeah. About burnout, about being a servant leader because it's just really important to take time. I mean the issues that we talk about. Uh, politically are so important, but we also need to make sure that we're sharpening ourselves as the vessel to get out that mission as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We will be right back and crown our problematic woman of the week. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. All right, it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week. Time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Sam Ponder. 
So if you're a woman who likes college football or just anyone who likes sports in general, you've probably been following Sam Ponder's career. She started very young on college game day. Uh, it was It's really cool. Her claim, claim to fame was that she had a, a young daughter named Scout, and she would bring her on set. And so it would be like Sam Ponder and Lee Corso, who Lee Corso is like a hero when it comes to college football. They'd be like hanging out on set on Saturday mornings. Um, she eventually went on to the NFL. Not to play in the NFL, <laughs> to do commentary for the NFL. Uh, she and she had more more kids. Um, one thing, growing up in Florida, she married Christian Ponder, who played baseball for Florida State. And like my friends in high school would write like Mrs. Christian Ponder on their notebooks because oh he gosh. is very handsome. So I, I mean, just he's not Henry Cavill. Wow. <laughs> So not um, that I've no. ever been on his Instagram. Feed well, or no, never, 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 never. <laughs> so, you know, woman, great career, great family, attractive husband, has it all. But now she's a bigot. Oh, oh, oh yeah. No. Oh, there it is. And you know what she dared to do? <laughs> what did she dare? She to do? dared to support Paula Scanlon, who we played the clip earlier. Uh, oh, she uh, flew too high. Wow. She flew too she high. She said only women are women and only, only men are men. And oh. then after all that, after a story career, she's persona non grata. Wow. So I, I You know what? Scenario. It's going to get to a point where everyone is tired of being deplatformed for saying commonsensical things. Yeah. We just need enough mm. of this to happen. The loud, loud mob is smaller than the quiet majority. Mm-hmm. We need to reverse those proportions. 100%. Yeah. So uh, really take some time this week. Go ahead. Follow Sam Ponder on Instagram. Make sure that you're giving her some, some support because it really is. We do need to counter this narrative on the left that she is this bait for just saying, hey, like maybe this woman isn't saying crazy things like maybe we should support <laughs> a sexual assault when she has to undress in front of a man um, because if – if it's not Sam Ponder, it's going to be another woman who speaks out, and we need to stop this now. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And hats off to Sam Ponder for being willing to say common sense things in a world that has lost common sense. And to be really awesome when it comes to college football. Well, yeah, for our problematic women listeners, I'll warn you, we're getting dangerously close. I was going to ask Lauren, when is the start of the season? Jeez. Oh, Let uh, us know. August 26th. We have 20, 25 days from when we record. Listen, I, I have a son at LSU now, so, you Go know. Tigers. Our- <laughs> Go Tigers! Go Tigers! Yep. Uh, yeah, I am uh, beyond excited, so um, we have lots of football to come, and hopefully <laughs> lots of good Sam Ponder stories. Yes, and we'll we'll include a few other things. Don't worry, listeners. Besides football, during our fall, uh, I mean maybe Gilmore Girls. And, <laughs> I don't know what else the fall will have. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Pumpkin spice. Oh, no thanks. Too much sugar. All right. Well, hot take. Good friends. Great stuff. Great episode. That's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Woman. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. In the meantime, take a minute to subscribe and share the show. Bye. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.